I went right up to the stupa and that's when it hit me. It felt almost spiritual. In 2019, Arti Kumar Rao was in the north of India on one of the highest plateaus in the world, standing before a massive cone of ice. And I was just thinking, my God, you know, this is a temple in a very different way, but it is a temple because water is everything. Water is life for these people. The cone of ice was called an ice stupa, an artificial glacier made by villagers and named after a type of sacred Buddhist structure. You are, you feel it, you know, you feel the, the gravity of the situation of what's happening and why this needed to be built. And then the, the love with which the people have built this. It's not something that they've done out of duty or out of, um, you know, it was not a ritual or anything. This they did out of love because they wanted to help their village. They wanted to survive. Artie says this monstrous cone of ice was a surprising solution to a problem that seems insurmountable. I'm Peter Gwynn, and this is Overheard at National Geographic, a show where we eavesdrop on the wild conversations we have here at Nat Geo and follow them to the edges of our big, weird, beautiful world. This week, how villagers in the mountains of northern India are dealing with water shortages caused by shrinking glaciers. More after this. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. You can live many days without without food or without shelter or whatever, but water is um, is, is vital. Arti Kumar Rao is an environmental photographer and writer working on a story about ice stupas for National Geographic. She says if anyone understands how vital water is, it's the people of Ladakh. This land of Ladakh is a desert. It's a cold desert, but it has glaciers and it has snowfall, and that's what keeps it alive. Ladakh is in the region of Kashmir, at the top of India, way up high in the mountains. It's flanked to the west by Pakistan and to the east by China. And ever since the partition of India in 1947, Pakistan, India, and China have all fought over the disputed region. But truly, we are facing an enemy that does not have a face or a uniform. And that enemy is, of course, climate change. When the glaciers in Ladakh melt, the water trickles down into the valley where the people use it to farm. But because of climate change, the glaciers are shrinking, which means meltwater comes later in the year, or it doesn't come at all. If a whole valley of many villages on the valley floor have depended upon that uh, meltwater, and, and the glaciers are gone and there's no snow, and you don't have any water for eight months of the year, how are you going to live? In Ladakh, it's getting harder to do so. The mountain range that Ladakh sits on neighbors the Himalayas, but the Himalayas are taller and they block most of the rain clouds. 
So we are said to be in the rain shadow of the Himalayas. Sonam Wangchuk is a mechanical engineer who's lived in Ladakh his whole life. He says Ladakh only gets about four inches of rain and snow a year. That's why for centuries they've relied on canals that run from the glaciers to water their crops. And against all odds, they grow barley, wheat, carrots, spinach, and fruits like apricots, apples, and pears. In spring, which is when farmers really need the water most, because unless you start early in spring in these cold deserts, your crops will not mature by the time winter sets in. So springtime, which is April, May, is a very crucial time when you must have water. But because the glaciers are shrinking, there's not much melt in spring. And then in August, because of climate change, there's a lot of melt, plus occasional bursts of rain from monsoon clouds, which lead to flash floods. So when you really don't need water, you have a flood. When you do need water, there's a trickle or, or a drought. This is the kind of problem that engineers like Sonam spend years trying to solve. But Sonam's not working with other engineers. In fact, he spends most of his days with kids, kids who have, quote, failed at school. It turns out, Sonam's not just a mechanical engineer who knows a thing or two about water in Ladakh. He's an education reformist who in 1988 created a school for Ladakhi kids who were failing in traditional school. And mind you, in those days, 95% of the students used to fail uh, at the high school leaving exams after spending like 10 years in those schools. So I decided um, engineering was my Wait a minute, first 95% love. 95% of the students failed the exam? Yeah, believe it or not. Wow. 95% failed. And yet uh, I thought and thought and thought that uh, actually it was a bigger surprise that 5% passed with the system that I saw. Sonam says the students were taught in Urdu, or English, even though they didn't speak those languages at home. So I learned that uh, there were so many problems the children were facing, uh, mainly stemming out of this uh, you know, situation where uh, we in the mountains had no relevance to the textbooks that came from outside, teachers who came from outside and so on. So I... Um, saw that as a bigger challenge that Ladakh was facing and decided that uh, more than applying mechanical engineering, Ladakh and its children needed to <clears throat> be liberated from a very, uh, very difficult education system which failed them for no fault of theirs. So at Sonam School, students run the campus. They grow their own food, milk the cows, and they work together to solve problems, serious problems, like the water shortage that's threatening the Ladakhi way of life. And uh, later at our school, when we were looking at all these solutions, we said, how should we apply science or maths to make ice in villages uh, or at the top of the village and keep it till springtime so that it doesn't prematurely melt before spring and melts right when the farmers need and when there is not enough water in the streams. So he and the students started experimenting. They were trying to figure out how they could store ice until spring. 
Sonam remembered hearing a story when he was young about people creating their own glaciers, but it sounded more like a legend. It's kind of a fairy tale story like where I I would be told that you bring a mother glacier from one valley and a father glacier from another valley and put the two together under a big rock in your valley and a baby glacier is expected. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfect, man. That and it also like you said sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah, it sounds like a fairy tale, but then I would wonder there must be something in it otherwise people wouldn't do it. Sonam and his students knew ice couldn't be stored flat, say, across a field, because it would melt before people needed the water. But then we saw one fine morning outside our school, under a bridge, there was a chunk of ice which had lasted into mid-May, which proved that it is technically possible to have ice till when people need it. Sonam says it wasn't any cooler under the bridge. And what is different under the bridge is not actually the temperature, because outside the bridge also the temperatures are spring temperatures. So what is different, we saw, was that there was no sunlight, direct sun, on the ice. Sonam and his students thought, if we could shield the ice from sunlight, then maybe we could store it until spring. But that is easier said than done. A little ice under a bridge makes sense, but creating shade for a massive chunk of ice that would keep an entire valley fertile, that'd be a lot harder. Any material would be unaffordable at that scale. So what came to our help was um, geometry. Geometry. You know, the math you learned in ninth grade that crushed your soul and made you become a journalist? Well, You might remember that some shapes can have big volumes but low surface areas. So if the ice is frozen in the shape of a hemisphere or a cone, then it might last much longer without any bridge or any shade because of its geometry. Low surface area for the sun to melt and high volume for the farmers to use. Okay, so that's brilliant, right? But... How do you build a really large cone of ice? It's not easy to make pyramids, solid pyramids, ask the Egyptians. So we knew that it had to be simple and you couldn't have people carrying blocks of ice high up 10 stories, 12 stories. So we thought we'll make the water do uh, do the work rather than us moving ice up. This time, Sonom and his students found answers in science class. They had already learned in middle school about water hydraulics. And one basic idea is that you can use gravity to direct water where you want it to go. Upslope, if you put a pipe and bring it downstream, then there is pressure in the pipe. Now, to that pressure, if you put a fountain at the outlet, at the other end of the pipe, then it sprays the water into the air. Just like a sprinkler. And then they could hang that sprinkler from a frame shaped like a tree. So once this water is sprayed into the minus 20 air, it sucks the heat out of the little droplets that is sprayed. And as it falls down, it freezes. And slowly, it naturally takes the shape of a cone. Boom. And that's how you make an artificial glacier that melts in spring. 
In 2015, Sonam raised $125,000 on a crowdfunding site. And with that money, he and a couple of students built a stupa. It was as tall as a six-story building. And when it began to melt in April, it watered a field of poplar trees. And it lasted until June. But despite that success, it was hard to get people in Ladakh excited about what was still just a chunk of ice. We thought, you know, ice cones are not interesting. People around may not relate to some ice cone. And we thought how to make the innovation close to people's hearts. And we saw that these ice cones very much resembled with another conical structure that's built with mud and stone called stupas. A stupa is a type of Buddhist structure that represents enlightenment. So the entire region of Ladakh, Tibet, and uh, many parts of India are dotted with these uh, spiritual monuments called stupas. So we said, why not call, why not present our solution as an ice stupa? And it worked. Suddenly we saw village people coming and circumambulating around the ice stupas while praying mantras from Buddhist scriptures and some even prostrating before the ice stupas uh, like a real spiritual monument that stupas are. Now that the locals were on board, Sonam set out to build more ice stupas. So this time we built a seven-story tall ice cone which uh, contained roughly one million liters of water. And it lasted till August. Oh my gosh, wow. The whole yes. summer, wow. And yes, on, on a sunny day, it would give us roughly 50,000 liters of water. That's like five tankers of water every day. Pretty soon, Sonam and his students were teaching villagers how to build ice stupas. Again, writer R.T. Kumar Rao. The enthusiasm of the people when they want to build a stupa or um, are building a stupa is just infectious. It's really, it's fun. It's, uh, they, everybody wants, it's like they're solving their problem. And to think, Sonam came up with a solution with a bunch of students that people thought were failing. So these students who were rejected by the system have gone on to become world-famous documentary filmmakers, politicians who became, you know, the education minister of the region. Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) Really? Yes. Came from this school? Yes, from this school. I mean, the one who took up education uh, ministry had failed five times. Wow. In the system. Wow. (laughs) So uh, similarly, some of them have taken um, studying further about the ice stupas and promoting it in their villages. Mm -hmm. They've already built 26 ice stupas this year and more are planned for the winter. But for all of the success of ice stupas, Sonam says they're just a Band-Aid and a cry for help. We don't think of them as something to be satisfied with or take pride in even because these cannot solve our problems uh, of a scale like climate change. So it has to be a global action that uh, can only save us. So now that's what Sonam's focused on, inspiring global change. 
last year on Mahatma Gandhi's birth anniversary, we said why not try and change the world and their behavior. So we were a bit audacious, but why not try? Um, and hence we started a movement called the I Live Simply movement, in which we try to make the idea and concept of ice stupas not just a water solution for mountain people in Ladakh, but as an SOS message from people who are at the forefront of climate change challenges. The motivation behind this SOS is simple. As Gandhi said, we say, please live simply so we may simply live. Well said. More after this. Nat Geo photographers have taken a lot of photos of Ladakh over the years, and it looks like Mars. You can find those photos in your show notes. We also have a link to the article R.T. Kumar Rao wrote about Sonam's ice stupas. Also, it's not just Ladakh that's facing a water crisis. The rest of India has a complicated relationship with water, too. We've got a story that looks at how India is trying to improve its water infrastructure system. You can find those stories and more in our show notes. They're right there in your podcast app. Overheard at National Geographic is produced by Laura Sim, Jacob Pinter, and Brian Gutierrez. Our senior editor is Ibi Caputo. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. Hansdale Sue composed our theme music and engineers our episodes. This podcast is a production of National Geographic Partners. Whitney Johnson is the Director of Visuals and Immersive Experiences. Susan Goldberg is National Geographic's Editorial Director. And I'm your host, Peter Gwen. Thanks for listening, and see you all next week.